When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good evening, everybody. Once again, it is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community pod- podcast. Welcome back to another episode. Welcome back to another new music spotlight. Today, we're featuring a band from Reading Berkshire in England called the Amazons. And band that has gained a lot of momentum starting, you know, a couple years ago with their new album in 2019, Future Dust. They recently did a tour with Dirty Honey, a small club tour across the states. I'd like to welcome in vocalist and guitarist Matt Thompson. How are you doing today, Matt? Uh, hello. Yes, very well, thank you. Very well. Well, how, how are you doing? You know, I guess that should be the first question is, you know, what's going on That's with you? How's, well. uh, how's everything going out where you're at? It's good. It's uh, kind of settling into this whole pandemic malarkey and uh it's kind of in a weird position now we're uh, yeah getting getting used to the the new routine which I, I have to say me personally isn't a million miles away from what i would be doing anyway um in terms of the whole writing process i mean that self-isolation kind of comes naturally when you're uh, trying to write a record, essentially. and uh, But it's good. Uh, I recently moved to a place called uh, Brighton, which is on the sea, about three or four days before we even, uh, before the, the lockdown in the UK started happening. So I kind of came off this uh, US tour with Dirty Honey, as you said, um, spent, came back to the UK, spent a night with my parents, which was lovely, but also torture kind of like reevaluating my life at that moment and then I moved into a new place in Brighton and then within three or four days from there we were all locked down so I'm in this new city that I'm experiencing just from going to the you know the store just like as a ghost town it's such a weird experience but uh yeah it's, it's, uh, it's a weird one 
It is. And we're going to cover a lot of stuff today with what's going on currently with the Amazons and how everything is affecting you. But we always begin the same way every time we have a first-time guest on the show, and that is the essence of the podcast. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan mm. has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh, wow. Uh, uh, I'd say there's two. Uh, they were really big moments for me when I was growing up. Um, uh, it was uh, Teenage Kick by a, uh, um, an Irish new wave group um, in the late 70s called The Undertones. And I heard that just on the radio, and it was a record that my parents had. Um, I kind of grew up on a, um, a nice steady diet of Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and uh, from my dad's side and Springsteen and Luke Van Dross and everybody, everything in between from my mum's side, but that record, that undertones record, Teenage Kick, really ignited something in me. And then I think um, that one had me on the road. And Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana kind of was the knockout blow. And then I've been a, a lifer ever since. Where did it go from there? You know, once you heard, you know, the music that hooked you on rock and roll, you know, what was the evolution for you with your journey? You know, what? who made you want to pick up a guitar? <laughs> That's a great question. I um, I can't actually... I couldn't tell you one person who made me want to pick up a guitar. It's all kind of one. It's hard. It's almost like... It's like writing a song where you kind of remember basics of it, but the actual, like, uh, the actual, like, lighting of the touch paper is really hard to pin down. I think it's an amalgamation of, of those things. I think rather less... Uh, I don't know, rather less, I don't know, cool would be, uh, I actually went from those kind of original uh, influences to my own journey, which kind of included um, some forays into the likes of um, System of a Down and, and kind of like Slipknot and like very like high energy Rage Against the Machine, which I guess is a bit cooler. I, that was my own personal journey because, quite frankly, my parents didn't quite get it. Uh, like the likes of Lincoln Park, Limp Bizkit. It was that kind of time, and uh, uh, this is like late teens and stuff. And I guess, uh, and some early Green Day albums as well. Just anything that had uh, a kind of visceral energy that I wasn't quite getting from, like the likes of Pink Floyd or or whatever my parents were playing me. Um, so it was that to have pretty strong memories of playing along to Green Day in my bedroom with my first guitar that I got at a Costco and I loved that because I could learn three chords and I was in I could just play along with the whole of Dookie and uh, and that and, and I had to like I couldn't I wasn't a good enough guitarist at that point to play along with Led Zeppelin <laughs> so um, those were my kind of I got into that kind of much more, um, yeah, kind of like metal and pop punk and things like that on my own personal journey, and that, and then that kind of, that kind of uh, uh, grew, and and my ch- my taste changed as I got a bit older, and I started getting onto things that people at my school were listening to, like the Arctic Monkeys and the Strokes, 
and slightly more what I call indie. Um, yeah. What was it about those bands, you know, going from Nirvana and, you know, going into like Slipknot and Limp Biscuit? Was it the energy of the music? Well, what, what attracted you to that, that style of, of, of music? I guess it's just, uh, it's like tales of the time in terms of me being a young man, they, like a young boy who just craves energy. And I remember so distinctly coming home from school and I've got red hair, like, uh, and that's a, that's a good reason as any to get slightly bullied when you're at school when you're, I don't know what the equivalent would be in terms of American grades, but I was in high school, like the first couple of years of high school. Um, so I get a little kind of, it wasn't, it wasn't super serious, but it would just be kind of constant name calling and all that kind of stuff. So I needed an outlet when I came home to kind of release my frustrations and energy and stuff. And that really was, um, putting CD on Lincoln Park or Slipknot, very like on the nose and abrasive and direct, like, hard kind of music and just getting it out that way um and then i don't know i guess that changed a little bit later on when you start noticing women and you i noticed that not a lot of girls were slipknot fans and more girls were into the after monkeys and kings of leon so i kind of uh <laughs> i kind of slowly transitioned to that kind of thing as you evolved, you know, and playing guitar and your musical journey with your influence kept, you know, keep evolving as well. Was there a moment, was there a song that you heard that connected with you that said, you know, that you, you, when you said to yourself, hey, I want to write a song, I want to write something like that, I want to write something that connects with people? Yeah, I think um, there was actually a couple of bands um, in London who were quite young there was a there was actually a very short-lived scene in london of um underage bands essentially they called it the underage scene and it was kind of anchored by this thing called the underage club i knew about it um in my hometown you know 60 miles away because of myspace and it lived on there and it was basically a club night that, that played all these bands who were under 18 which is the drinking age in the UK and there were indie bands who were like very um, influenced by what was going on in the indie scene in the US I think there were bands like Bombay Bicycle Club uh, Cajun Dance Party just and and they were kind of almost like um, younger versions of like The Apple Monkeys and Block Party and, and those kind of UK indie bands and what was important about them for me and my my growth is that it actually started I I saw these kids they must have been 17, 18 at the time and I was like be two or three years younger I saw them playing shows forming bands writing songs getting record deals and all that kind of thing everything I wanted to do and it, it wasn't so um, far out of my reach like Led Zeppelin or whoever is so distant from me as a 15 year old boy that you don't even attempt and it was you know it was seeing these bands in London which wasn't so far away 
we were essentially teenagers and playing shows and forming bands and writing songs that I really liked. That kind of really pushed me to think that this is something I can do. It's achievable. Present day, you know, your your music, you know, is being listened to by people all over the globe. Your your new album came out in 2019. Yeah. How are you still evolving in music as part of your musical journey? You know, what types of things do you listen to? What types of things do you look for to keep feeding your creativity? That's an interesting question because I've just been talking to the, the boys in the band and the management about that very question in terms of artistic growth. And I'm definitely at a crossroads and kind of in part of kind of in a transition currently about the things I've been listening to um, and how that affects the music that we're making. I think the music between our two records is quite distinctive and our third record I know will be even more so because of the things that we were listening to at the time. And The second album was really a big, it kind of was underpinned by a big discovery of like more uh, what I call like roots music in terms of like kind of like more discovery of like blues artists essentially um, and then and then a love for what I guess people would call more classic rock so really delving in and listening to the records of the Rolling Stones and really listening to the records of Led Zeppelin and then listening to their influences that really underpins our last album feature just it was kind of like the um, values that were held by those kind of 60s and 70s musicians and artists what they valued we wanted to try and use that as a benchmark of what we should value and that was musicianship that was production and that was you know um, expression in terms of things like guitar solos and drum sounds and and the things that kind of was the foundation for that in terms of the blues and early rock and roll artists and stuff that we really enjoyed getting into but uh feel like I've got myself into a rut with how I listen to music and in kind of broadening my horizons in terms of going back in time a little bit and kind of almost seeking out the origins of all the the music that we listen to today. I've kind of got myself in a rut where I only listen to music that was produced from the 50s to up to like 1979 and I haven't listened to anything other than that and I'm so out of step with music like modern music I just don't listen to it anymore and I've, I I, think I'm trying to broaden my horizons a little bit more and I, I heard an interview with uh, Tim Impala's Kevin Parker the lead singer where he said that he had listened to an interview with Tyler Creator from Odd Future well I guess he's just Tyler the Creator now where he said he listens to two hours of music that he's never heard before every single day and I got I said oh my god I really don't do that all I do is listen to uh, Gimme Shelter and uh, <laughs> and you know a whole lot of love back to back essentially or like when I do make discoveries it's like oh this is some uh, band that supports the Crosby Stills and Nash and Young which all has its merit and stuff but in terms of my own artistic growth I feel like I've kind of got as far as I can get in that respect 
Well, the, the evolution of the artist is always important, right? And sometimes you need to go back and peel the, you know, peel back the orange per se, you took yeah. before you can move forward in another direction. And, you know, you mentioned a lot Absolutely. of bands, you know, from the nineties on, you know, with, with the original question that I asked, and now you're going back and you're listening to the stones and Zeppelin and maybe revisiting stuff that you were first introduced when you were younger. Yeah. But, you know, maybe that is the path to discover new music because I'm the same way. You know, I love Led Zeppelin. They're my favorite band, you know, and, and I love yeah. bands, you know, throughout my youth and, and into, you know, being a young adult and now being 45. I love what I grew up with and I love what I listen to, but mm-hmm. I can also listen to new music, whether it's the Amazons or, you know, Dirty Honey or, you know, Joyous Wolf or bands like that, or, you know, like Massive Wagons is another band from the UK. Um, And, or I can, you know, listen to singer songwriters like Pete Yorn or Butch Walker, Um, listen to bands like Lucero who have like kind of like a Southern rock feel with like a mix with the replacements. It's a very unique style. So I always try to open myself up and sometimes I have to go back and listen to those older groups in order to, break open another part of the wall to be exposed to something else. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, uh, I'm so, I don't regret any, any part of the journey at all in terms of, uh, of that kind of thing. I think it's so important that, and it frustrates me when, uh, people kind of don't understand the origins of the music that they listen to. Just, uh, if you love them, you want to know where it comes from, and that's kind of what we set out to do. With, you know, a couple of years ago when we started the second album process, just about reconnecting with the roots of what it's all about, and that that only came out of a love for rock and roll, and seeing where it came from, and how can you understand where something's going to go in the future if you don't understand where it came from in the first place, and what makes the genre, and what makes the feeling and the lifestyle tick. Like what, what, what feeds it? What's the spirit of the whole thing? And I think a great way of finding that out is having an appreciation and of artists like who underpin it all, like Howlin' Wolf or, uh, Muddy Waters or, you know, the recent deceased Little Richard. I mean, that guy was a rock star. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, the likes of Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis and people like that. The people who essentially influenced the Stones. And who influenced Led Zeppelin? Our favorite band. I, I love, I love those bands so much. So I naturally want to know where they got their um, inspiration from. And see if I can tap into that kind of thing as well and get get a little bit of the magic dust. You know. Well, it also means that you're a student of music. You know, and what's really interesting is whenever you go back and listen to you know, the greats, you know, whether it's the Stones, whether it's Zeppelin, whether it's the Beatles, and then you go back and listen to some of their influence, whether it's Howlin' Wolf, whether it's Muddy Waters, whether it's Sonny Boy Williamson, whatever it is, you know, then when you go and you listen to stuff that you grew up on, like we talked about, or stuff that's new, you may hear something different than you didn't hear before. You may hear an influence that you didn't realize was in that song or that band had that influence and you have a whole new appreciation or it sounds completely different to you. Oh, 
definitely. You just understand the context. You understand where you under you have a greater understanding about artists because you have an understanding of where they where they were what they were listening to and where they were coming from, which I think is the best thing when you're moving forward and making music yourself. The album Future Dust, great album. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, just a fan- fantastic record. Coming off your self-titled debut album, what was the purpose going into the recording studio with what you wanted to accomplish? Like, what, how did you want to evolve from the self-titled album into Future Dust? Well, I think there was there were a couple of the the process of making the first album was such a like a, such an amalgamation of so many different songs and like almost experiments in style that we'd uh, we'd had a go at over the you know three or four years that we wrote the first record um, and what we were really enjoying playing live was the, the darker heavier more wrist, wrist based song um, there's a couple of songs from the first record Little Something and Black Magic that we felt way more at home playing way more inspired playing live so, you know in support of the debut album so we wanted to carry that sound on and just explore that side of what we do way more and uh, and use that as a basis for the a launch pad for what we wanted to do with the second record which was to go slightly darker and to explore more riff based stuff and to make a real visceral and fat rock rock and roll record and what we wanted to also do was kind of shift kind of um, we wanted to um, shake off uh, this kind of UK indie tag um, that we'd been given um, that we didn't like because we didn't feel like we associated with any of the bands that were had been given that tag as well when we you know we were playing festivals and stuff and just didn't feel like any kind of relationship with the other bands that were called indie bands so we wanted to make a rock record and quite an unapologetic rock record uh, with guitar solos and riffs and all that kind of thing. That's what where our heads were at. And of course, like, as I was saying earlier, we were listening to a huge amount of like blues and, and what you'd probably call more classic rock influences and stuff. That really kind of sonically influenced the record whilst lyrically, <laughs> I thought the world was kind of burning a bit when we were writing the record and I had no idea what was going to come at all. But, um, and that it has that kind of apocalyptic feel. I mean, we love songs like Gimme Shelter by the Stones and love that kind of apocalyptic feel, end of world feel that it had. And I just wanted to have a go at doing that. When you are recording an album and you're writing an album, what is the process for the Amazons? You know, who brings the ideas? Is it a collaborative effort? You know, are, are, are you the primary songwriter? How does that work when you guys are making an album? Yeah, it, there's a lot of, uh, it's a pretty fluid process, quite a, it can be sometimes super collaborative and sometimes I can kind of have a vision and just go for it. Um, what I, what is set in stone usually is that I handle the lyrics and the kind of melody and maybe the more traditional kind of song part of it. While I usually write as little arrangement as possible 
I usually try and write as much on the acoustic guitar as possible and show the boys in the band. And then we just piece, we put together arrangements, really. And uh, everyone's kind of pretty clear and happy in their roles in the band. Like our drummer is a fantastic drummer. He, he's got a real in embedded sense of rhythm, and and he he he. I have great respect for what he does as well as our guitarist. Uh, he's incredible at writing licks and riffs and things like that, and our bassist. Um, so, really, in a nutshell, it's more the traditional song, what you would consider the song, the lyrics and the melody. I take care of, and then the Amazons as a whole, we sort out the arrangement, which is pretty much half the battle, which is sometimes the hardest bit of it all, really. When you're writing music and you're writing lyrics, whether it's yeah. something that inspired you or whether it's something that is personal to you, whether good or bad, how do you connect with that vulnerability of revisiting something that may have been a bad experience or even a positive experience, and then you write it because you got to connect with it all over again. You've got to relive the experience and then when you put it on the album and fans are listening to it or people are listening to it, you want them to connect with it either in their own way or connect with it with yeah. how you did, have some sort of connection. How does that, how, how do you, you know, navigate with your mind and, and wrap your head around that whole experience? Yeah, it's, um, it's such, it, it can be such a source of, uh, it can be a real cathartic uh, process, writing the lyrics and making sense of personal situations or even broader. And I, especially with the last record, I tried to make a deeply personal record that I felt could um, translate on a wider stage. For example, a song like Warning Sign, which is probably, I think, second to last on the record. And it can either be construed as um, a society being reckless and not taking care of itself uh, regardless of warning signs or it could be where basically where it personally came from on a much more intimate level be about someone who is being reckless and um, irresponsible when it comes to their own well-being and that's what I was going to try and go for so it's almost easier (laughs) So it's not completely uh, deeply intimate, but I have to kind of dig up, um, yeah, the old kind of ghosts every time I sing it live. But that just is part of the job. It's just kind of part of writing lyrics that are personal, really. Um, I wouldn't go there unless I was ultimately comfortable with singing it every night. But some things just need to be said, whether they're uncomfortable or not. And, uh, it's just part of the art. And sometimes it's instead of just bottling up things, it's actually better to keep on readdressing things and to be able to have a deeply personal songs, especially on this last record and it's being taken by fans and they have their own, uh, they kind of prescribe their own experiences to it. And you can see it in, the, in their eyes and you can see it when they're singing it, like in the front row or whatever, you know, uh, when, when we're playing shows and stuff, um, that actually kind of makes it feel all the more worth it. 
uh, like almost like conceding that like this kind of like bearing of your soul, like making yourself vulnerable, is kind of vindicated when people do reciprocate it and uh, and so clearly connect with it in a live in the live performance. It it is interesting how people connect differently with music. You know, whether it's lyrics, whether it's the you know, the riff, the melody, or you know how how maybe you write something lyrically that means something different to you, but it takes on its own life with someone and something completely different. And that's the beauty of music because everybody feels something different. No one is the same. There might be similarities, but you know, everyone has their their own connection to it. And the beauty also about music, it's all it's always about timing. You know, what what a song means to you when you're twenty may mean something completely different to you when you're forty. And it's just the way music, well, even though it's recorded, when it's recorded, it keeps evolving over time. Yeah. Yeah, I, exactly. I mean even with an artist in terms of was it Journey Mitchell with both sides now. We've recorded two versions of it. One is a on our first record and then another is a, a much older woman and it's just the same that same look can mean things completely different I think that actually is what is the beauty for and um, what really separates the great songs from you know the good songs is that stuff that can mean something to you when you're a 20 year old or a 40 year old uh, um, I would probably point to a lot of the Beatles catalogue <laughs> when a song like In My Life um, it's something that I deeply resonated with, even though I was a teenager when I first heard of it. But of course, teenagers are the other demographics sometimes who are the most uh, frightened of getting old. <laughs> and then, like later on, I, it, as you gain more experiences in life, the same song with the same lyrics takes on different meaning, which is uh, remains to be seen whether the Amazons have written any songs like that. I'm not so sure, but. I'd like to, I think that's something you should definitely aspire to, make music that can last. Obviously, you know, that's not, it's quite a hard brief to work to, but that's what you hope. I'm sure that's what all musicians and all artists hope for, that their music can last. Yes, that is the beauty of, of music. That's the beauty of the art is the, you know, the song that stands the test of time, but to go deeper into that, the song that just keeps evolving, you know, it's because people nor naturally evolve, right? I mean, you're not the same person you were 10 years ago. You're not going to be the same person you will be 10 years from now. So if that music is able to stand the test of time and keep evolving with you as you continue through your journey in life, that's even yeah. greater. You know, I mean, that you know, there's songs with me that I've listened to since I was a kid that still resonate with me, have different meanings, and have evolved as I've evolved as a person, which is so cool. And that, and I don't know if there's any other art form. Maybe, maybe paintings, maybe you know, art that you see in a museum. Maybe that can you know evolve with you. But as far as music goes, I don't know if it has you know the depths that a lyric can mean to you over time from the beginning to you know to the very end no i agree and that's why people <laughs> like myself and yourself are um once you're in you're in for life yeah absolutely <laughs> and uh it's uh, yeah just uh something that i can't imagine i can't imagine life without music and uh, that's what this pandemic is quite interesting is that 
you don't think about like I don't kind of constantly say to myself how much I lo- I love music all the time or like I don't remind myself how much I love live live concerts or performances because you know you you wouldn't constantly remind yourself about how much you love water or oxygen it just happens but when it's deprived from you a little bit it really puts into perspective how important it actually is to just living and just managing life and just you know it's like a good tonic to all the crap we have to put up with really yeah i guess you know that is the 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 wonder right now is how is this going to continue to affect music you know with the pandemic the global pandemic how it affects creativity you know i i, I don't know man I, I i hear a lot of different things from different artists that i've interviewed over the past couple of months since this all started some some artists are still able to remain creative and still re- able to write music and, and create things. Others are having yeah. a difficult time because they need mm-hmm. to experience life in doing things on a daily basis, doing different things that may inspire the creative juice. What is it like for you? Are, are you able to create? Is this? I mean, you mentioned that you're diving into some music that you may have listened to before and going even deeper into it with their influence. How has that creative process been since this, you know, global pandemic started? It's been okay. I feel for people who, and I totally understand people who are a little bit, um, artists who are a little bit almost, um, feel a bit vulnerable and like, uh, self, you know, that they're kind of worried that they haven't, um, written as much. And I kind of, tackled that with more like kind of almost the I know that this is going to go on for quite a long time I, I've kind of knew, known that for the last six weeks or so so if there is a day or two days or three days in a row where I haven't written anything I kind of don't fret about it too much because there'll be plenty of opportunity to do so really I kind of always know that there's going to be another day of this it's not going to go away anytime soon so and I'm just using it as a chance to like dive into other art forms really um, and using using the time to almost like um, get into things that I've wanted to do but put off I've been watching a lot of classic films the kind of classic films that you go oh my god I can't believe you haven't seen that um, and uh, we made a huge list at the beginning of this of all the songs I'm uh, um, sorry all the uh, films that we should have seen but haven't. Things like Godfather 2, things like Casablanca, things like, I don't know, 12 Angry Men, um, Doctor Strange Love, all the kind of classics that we never got around to seeing. And just getting into that and just uh, letting yourself just get into those worlds and just turning off for a moment. And that really helps to create a process with uh, music. And also just like listening to music that I haven't heard before. Like I'm listening to a lot of classic albums that I feel like I should have heard but I haven't. Um, today's was Jagged Little Pill I've never heard that back front so I just put it on today and just things like that just um, if I find if I'm just uh, uh, consuming art whether it's music or film or whatever and I've got a guitar hand like nearby I'll just I'll noodle anyway and it's just now we've got the time to capture the lightning in a bottle really I don't really have a I don't really have a big routine. I don't have anywhere to be. So 
if I do get any kind of inspiration, I know I I am my I'm a captive audience for the inspiration. You know, I mean, like I've got nothing else to do except from capture it. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I mean, it's it's you know when you're involved in a situation like this that a lot of people are experiencing. I guess the one positive thing is that you know that a lot of people are dealing with this together. You know, there's you know the Amazons yeah. aren't you know being singled out. It's not just an Amazon issue. Yeah. It's 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 bands. It's it's music in general. It's clubs. It's theaters. So you know, in that essence, you you kind of feel a little bit together on it and. And, you know, with being creative, it may ease, you know, I, I imagine it's hard to be creative when things are very stressful. And, but during these yeah. stressful times, I think the comfort that you know that it's, it's going to be over at some point and everyone's dealing with it together, that it, it may, it maybe is a little bit more of a, um, a relaxed stress that you know that at some point you're going to be able to perform again and play out again. Yeah, absolutely. This is just, I think it's really important to just use these things as an opportunity. Look at it as an opportunity because how many times this time last year would you hear people saying, oh, life's so fast, I need to slow down and all this. It's like we're being forced to slow down and now it's about kind of really um, diving into things that you really value and I value art and um, and it's all about diving deep, as deep as possible into it and uh, and diving as deep as possible into the process of making music and I think um, music's just such a huge part of coming to terms and uh, processing what's going on and I found myself really at the right at the beginning I was stressed I found myself really moving towards music that had also been made in times of um, national and international struggle, really, like, kind of, um, the, the main thing would be kind of the anti-Vietnam War, civil rights, hippie kind of 60s explosion of, you know, uh, soul and R&B and rock and roll. I found myself just falling into listening to artists like Dylan and Lennon, who had something to say, about those times, but they weren't, um, it wasn't like dark times, so we're going to make really dark music. It was kind of like, they're telling you the truth, but we're also having a party. We're also having fun with it. Or like Sly and the Family Stone or whatever at Woodstock. That, that kind of Woodstock era when they're like facing such huge um, challenges, uh, but they're making such vibrant and optimistic and uplifting music. And I think if I had a message for other artists in the, COVID-19 era <laughs> then I want them to make I want artists to make uplifting music I think that was a real I watched the um, that huge show where loads of artists like it was the Lady Gaga thing and everyone you know all these artists like the Stones and Lady Gaga and they did this one continuous concert online um, for citizen, global citizen charity and I felt they missed a the trick a little bit because it was almost like everyone was filming themselves at home and they thought, well, okay, mm, times are hard, so what should I do? Oh, I know, I'll pick my saddest ballad. And it just made the whole tone of it feel just kind of a little bit melancholy and sad and stuff, when actually music 
as well as showing you and guiding you, it should also really help you escape as well. And I felt like uh, you can't always get what you want with the stones. I thought that was a good trick, where the lyrics were kind of good, but it's also an uplifting tune. And it wasn't some mopey ballad, essentially. That's what I want from Marcus. I want them to make me dance, but show me the truth, help me escape, and make me dance. Yeah, I agree. That That's a, a, a great point. Um, do you guys have a plan once this is over? You know, I mean, is it, how are the Amazons going to move forward? Is it kind of a wait and see approach or is it, yeah. you know, do you guys have some sort of formal structure, you know, once this, once this pandemic is over? Yeah. Well, you caught me at a good time because I just came up with a big Zoom call with my management band and we were talking about the very thing. And uh, it was nice and fresh in my mind. We are kind of at the end of this year was basically the end of the Future Dust campaign. We were going to do lots of festivals in the summer. That's not happening. So, and then we were going to take a break, like not necessarily a break of like, oh, let's go on holiday, lads. It's more like let's kind of go quiet for a bit and and really write the best record of our careers. And um, that's still the name of the game, really. I mean, we were touring around dates for music to come out. Um, you know, 2021, because we want to make the best record we can. It, it's almost, we want to um, make a record that's seen as a kind of reintroduction of the band. Um, you know, we're just, we've got to a certain point in our journey in the UK, but where our hearts are, is really like coming to the States and we need to write a record that um, can help us further that journey in the United States because we had such an amazing time when we talked of Dirty Honey visiting um, you know all these places that we heard of before and that was so important when we were you know getting into music and stuff and we got to visit them and we got to go there like Chicago Nashville Austin Los Angeles New York and stuff um, so that's basically what what our plans are making the best record possible and and spending this year writing it and next year recording it and uh, and kind of kind of coming back with uh, yeah like better than we've ever 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 released music before. The bill with you and Dirty Honey here in the states was you know remarkable. I mean. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it was a good gig. It was yeah, a good gig. Yeah, I mean, you know, both both you guys are you know the face of new rock music, and you know, Dirty Honey has momentum. You guys have momentum. It was a good way for people mm. to be exposed to you. It was a good way to people to see Dirty Honey. And you know, we talk about these big tours, these big concerts, and you know, the money spent on tickets and all that. You know, going to see the Amazons and Dirty Honey for. 20 bucks and seeing great music and being exposed to two great bands was phenomenal. I, I, I am so glad that you guys did that. And he's so glad that you hooked yeah. in with dirty honey. Who's another great new band. It was very similar to seeing Tyler Bryant and the temperance movement who came last summer. You know, those two hooked up for a right. small tour in the States too, as well. And, you know, both great bands and both, you know, great experiences to see them. How did that all start with you guys and Dirty Honey? How did that, how did that uh, happen? I mean, we've been wanting to get out of the States for a while. It, it kind of actually all started 
with us um, signing a record deal with Island Records at the beginning of 2019. And that set us, like, essentially some money to come over. And then we started looking at opportunities, looking at bands that we liked. And, and it all came really through, we had the same agent uh, out in Los Angeles, and uh, they put it to uh, the band. The band really liked what we were doing. Uh, we'd met them once before at a show in New York. We were in town, and uh, it was May of 2019, actually. They played uh, in New York at the Mercury Lounge. We went down, met the band, and, uh, you know, just fans become fans when they sense that they're at a similar level and when they enjoy what each other are doing you just kind of you just go to each other's show you you introduce yourselves and just become buddies really and uh and that kind of that turned into them bring us out on tour which was such a leap of faith and such a um yeah we honestly it's such an endorsement from them and uh knowing that we haven't really done a huge amount in the United States before, but, um, you know, we were at a level in Europe and the UK and knowing that we probably weren't met, worth that many tickets to them, but they love what we were doing. They wanted to take us out and, uh, we'll definitely be forever, uh, indebted to them for that. And, uh, we had an amazing time on that tour. Um, and it was a good ticket because you've got a band touring the States for the first time in, in, in us as, the Amazon and you know we've been around for a long time we've done two albums we know how to work the room we know how to do these things and then you've also got Dirty Honey who are like just starting their journey really as that band but they have a, you know they're slightly older than us they've like got a wealth of experience they're extremely good musicians uh, and I think you can tell that from the shot and you know both bands are like hit the ground running essentially is what I'm trying to say so it was a good ticket for 20 bucks yeah, no, it was phenomenal. It was great. Um, when you talk about making a name for yourself in the UK and trying to get exposure into the United States and, and getting exposure yeah. with the fans here, that really speaks of the current state of rock and roll and how difficult it is for new music to be heard because of the lack of infrastructure that's in place for an outlet for new music. I mean, there's so many platforms for people to go to, you know, I mean, whether it's Spotify or iTunes or YouTube or wherever, you know, it's, it's difficult. Um, How do you guys feel things are progressing in terms of new bands coming up in the UK? You know, obviously a lot of bands have the goal to play here in the States. You guys have done that. You guys mm. want to continue to do that, but how how is the vision of the Amazons, you know, deal with the the lack of outlet for new music or the lack of of relevance for rock music right now that's going on? It's tough. Um, I think we're one of the. It's tough because there is definitely a scene. Uh, especially in the UK, we've got a huge punk and kind of, uh, kind of real alternative left field DIY scene. That seems to be the only thing that's really happening at the moment. There's a couple of bands called Fontaine CC and Idols, which isn't really our kind of 
rock and roll. It's very like, um, yeah, it's essentially punk. It's super um, left in terms of its sonic, but also in terms of its politics. It's very, um, yeah, it's very kind of extreme sounds and all that kind of stuff. Um, but they do pretty well. Um, I actually heard Idols on KLOS um, with uh, the guy from Sex Pistols, and they're kind of doing things over in the States. I think they're on a, uh, a US label. I think there are, it's hard to know what's going on with rock and roll. It certainly isn't uh, where it was, but it's, I don't know if anything's where it was. I think actually I'm trying to get out of the habit of comparing things now to the way they were because we're talking about completely different ballgames essentially it's talking about different rules um it's really unfair to compare um fans to that explosion of um creative energy of the 60s and 70s i'm starting to think actually now that the that they were more of the exception i'm talking like that hot spot that sweet spot couple of decades back um, in the 60s and 70s and a bit of the 80s as well where rock and roll was at the top of the at the top of the chart and top of the um, top game of the, creatively yeah, well, yeah. Top you know of the food, like top when of the it was like chain. culturally relevant and all this kind of stuff but it's just different it's just not that that's not the norm that we should uh, you know kick ourselves all the time for not reaching that kind of more the they feel more and more as time goes on as the exception where the best songs being written at the time can also be the biggest songs in the world that's just not the case um success now definitely is 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 now won by you know uh artists that value different things to what traditionally rock and roll values like there's no mystique like in um, you know, today's pop stars, today's pop stars is about, it's about, uh, you know, being as open and as candid as possible on social media. There's no, there's no characters like Dylan because Dylan and, and Neil Young and, and those kind of artists, um, excelled in a time of LPs and magazines and a distance between them and fans where there's a lot of space for the fans to create to plug the gaps in with their own imagination and build these people up to being these like essentially demigods. But now it's all about being as present and as being available as possible, um, which is not what rock and roll is and rock stars and success in that way is about. Just those are different. It's just the genre has different strengths and that those strengths aren't particularly valued by the listeners of 2020. That's how I feel. Well, it's also how you define success, too, as well. You know, I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, that has a lot to do with it. You know, I mean, you know, not everybody gets to the level of of being worth, you know, a billion dollars or $500 million Mm -hmm. or whatever like that. I mean, that, you know, I mean, not everybody's going to be Mick Jagger who owns his own island and, you know, has, you know, houses and homes all over the world. But maybe it's rock and roll success in terms of commercial uh, gain that kind of set and uh, uh, a precedent that um, 
we'd be wrong to compare to. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think that's it, it's all how you view it. It's all how what your experience is. You know, I mean, if mm-hmm. if you can, you know, make a great living or a good living doing what you love, in essence, you're already succeeding, right? I mean, it's already, you know, yeah. So, and, you know, it takes longer for people to connect with rock and roll. I got, I have to be honest with you, how I discovered the Amazons was by my Mm -hmm. 15 year old son. You know, he likes (laughs) rock music and, and we're always, I'm telling him, Hey, check this out. And he's telling me, Hey, check this band out. And, you know, he, he, he helped me discover you. And that's, what I love because I love new music just as much as I love the old stuff. And to hear, you know, a young kid listening to rock music and listening to new rock, I do believe that there is going to be a resurgence in rock music. I thought 2020 was Mm -hmm. going to be a big year, obviously with the pandemic and COVID-19, you know, things have to be paused and it's not going to happen. But I do think what excites me, about the future is that when this is over, yeah. there's going to be a huge push with new music and it's going to Yo, be, definitely. yeah. And it's going to be everywhere. And that's exciting. Babies and albums. Yeah. That's what the story of 2021 will be. Yes. Babies and albums. <laughs> and, and, or, or yeah, <laughs> babies, albums and divorces. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I, I do believe that. I, I just think that you know, some out of something bad, something good comes of it. And I'm, I'm sure there's going to be multitude of good that comes out of this. But I, I believe in terms of music, there's going to be just an, an outrageous amount of new stuff coming out, and it's going to be great. Yeah. And it's going to be you know, where as we're kind of in a lull and not watching live music now, you know, no one's going to a show. There's going to be, hopefully, so many opportunities to see that. I hope these small clubs survive. I hope these, you know, these theaters are able to, to somehow make it through this tough time. But I just think that there's going to be a lot. And I just think for a music fan, for a rock band, that's going to be a great thing. Uh, absolutely. And uh, plenty of competition that we're going to have to fight to for now for uh, people's attention. Yeah. And that's not a bad <laughs> thing. Great for the fans. Yeah. So we have to uh, fight people. <laughs> well, well, Matt, I appreciate you doing this. Um, it has been a great conversation. Oh, um, I, I really enjoyed talking with you about a vast different things, you know, the Amazons, the album, your influences, and what's going on. But thank you again for doing yes, this. Oh, no, thanks very much. It's, uh, yeah, it was a good, great, great chat, and uh, hopefully see you next time we're in Chicago. I would love to. Love to see you guys again, and, uh, you know, thanks again for, for doing the podcast. Once again, everybody, that's Matt Thompson from the Amazons. Their new album is Future Dust, released late last year. Go check it out. Go buy it. Go stream it. It's a great, it's a great album. I'm going to wrap up here. I'm, I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast, and we will talk again soon. Take care. <laughs>
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 